We were all waiting for something else, weren't we? <clears throat> the very first car I ever owned was a 1972 Pontiac Ventura. I bought it at the age of 22, out of college, at an auction. It was exactly this color, kind of butterscotch, but it was two-tone. It had a white top to it, and it was pretty amazing. But in my dreams, it looked like this. Next slide. <laughs> and I want you to note on the front of the car, in the little red circle, is the 350 uh, uh, insignia telling you that it's got a powerful engine. Well, mine had a 350. To be honest with you, when I bought the car, I had no idea what that meant. And I was told by someone that's a little too much engine for that size of a car. I didn't know what they meant until I got it home. And when I would push on the accelerator, I mean really push down, I thought the car went up first before it went forward. <laughs> it had amazing power. But the car had a problem. It had a, uh, a bad fuel pump and a couple other things. So occasionally, you would push down and nothing would happen. And then it would go up and forward. <laughs> I never got a ticket with that car, although I should have. And it was a lot of fun. Although it had amazing power, it often did not act like it because of the poor connection with the power source. And I've thought about that situation in light of my own spiritual life. I am connected to the greatest power in all the world, the risen power of the Son of God via the Holy Spirit who lives within me. It is the power that Paul talked about in the book of Ephesians that raised Christ from the dead. It is the incomparable great power chapter 1, verse 19, that is in us who believe, the power that works his mighty strength. And that power is in all of us who are believers. But often we are not connected as we ought to be. We have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not always have all of us. And we are disconnected from the power. So what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the portion of Scripture that Catherine read this morning is that we need to be connected to the power source. The power source needs to be in control of us. He is resident in our soul, but does he have control? You have the Holy Spirit. I had the 350 engine, but it was not always connected well. And so you and I, in our own Christian life, need to understand that the secret of holiness is to be filled and controlled by the one whose very name is holy, the Holy Spirit. The secret of power is to be under the control of the all-powerful Holy Spirit. So Paul says in verse 17, don't be foolish. That is, don't be mindless, but understand, comprehend what God wants you to do. And when you understand God's will, the only way you can do it, verse 18, 
is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which leads to, and then you follow the, uh, the verses there, and it tells us the results, the consequences of actually being under the Spirit's control. I mentioned last Sunday that there probably is behind this the historical context of the worship of the god of wine, Bacchus, during the festival of Dionysius, in which in Ephesus, as in many of the other cities in that day, people would have a festival, a drunken festival, to an idol god. And they would parade up and down the streets and sing songs in wild abandonment maybe much like our modern-day Mardi Gras. They would submit themselves to this God, they would give praises to this God, and they would dance and sing in debauchery. And so Paul is taking something that they are very familiar with, and he says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't that all of that leads to rioting and debauchery and loose living. On the other hand, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the control of a substance like alcohol that dehumanizes. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit who blesses and uses you for the glory of God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor as well as a medical doctor prior to his ordination, says in this portion of Scripture that we need to understand that from the standpoint of pharmacology, alcohol is a depressant, not a stimulus. Not a stimulant. It depresses first and foremost. It takes the higher centers of the brain which control us, our thinking, our speech, our self-control, our judgment, our behavior, and it alters all of those, depresses them. But the Holy Spirit, he says, if I were to put the Holy Spirit in a uh, textbook on pharmacology, I would put it in the category of the stimulant because the Holy Spirit energizes our thinking faculty, our behavior, taking us to our highest and best where alcohol does the exact opposite. So the result of alcohol, drunkenness, is debauchery. The result of being filled with the Spirit are four wonderful results that are given to us in four present participles. And so we're going to look at that because this becomes then the real outflow of the Holy Spirit. Let me simply say to you that there is a difference between being baptized by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. I think the scriptures are quite consistent, although it's not an easy subject to decipher. To be baptized by the Holy Spirit is when you come to faith in Christ and you are baptized into the body of Christ. Baptism is an initiation ordinance. We are placed into the body of Christ. It happens once for all. In the book of Acts, there is the baptism of the Spirit that starts the church, Acts chapter 2. Then the first movement of the church to the Gentiles, there was another baptism as it were. That is 
initiating people into the body of Christ at conversion. But filling is something that is repeatable. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. In baptism, that means I belong to Christ's body. In the filling of the Spirit, that means that my body belongs to Christ. That He takes control of me. And that's what it means to be filled. It means to be saturated, engrossed, absorbed with, but in the end, under the control of something. The word for filling is used in the Scriptures in a lot of different ways. For instance, the Jews in Acts 14 were filled with envy, and Elymas the sorcerer in Acts 13 was filled with deceit. Those who have a bodily skin disease... They're described in Luke chapter 5 as being filled with leprosy. And you and I can be filled with excuses. <laughs> we can be filled with ourselves. But we're commanded to be filled with what? The Spirit. It's not an option, it's a command. It's an imperative and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will see the consequences. When we're under His control, the effects are evident. And may I say this, the effects that are mentioned by the Apostle Paul here are moral. They're not necessarily, necessarily miraculous. They're miraculous because they come from the Spirit, but they're not those miraculous, obvious signs and wonders that people often associate with the filling of the Spirit. The speaking in the tongues, the, the uh, healing, the uh, ability to understand things that are not taught to you. It's interesting that these all have to do with relationships. When you're filled with the Spirit, your relationships will be affected and the evidence is obvious. No, it's not so much outward, mysterious, or miraculous, but it is moral in its effect upon our lives. And so the question we ought, ought to ask ourselves every day is, am I under the control of the Holy Spirit? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's kind of like the glass half empty, half full, right? So the glass can be full, or the glass can be half full, or the glass can, be, can have just a little bit in it. And uh, you and I, as far as the control of the Holy Spirit goes, we can be filled, or we can be less than filled, less than under His control. Filled with ourselves, instead of filled with the blessed Holy Spirit of God. So look at verse 18. Don't get drunk. On wine that leads to debauchery instead be filled with the Spirit and we mentioned last week that this is a command in the present tense so it means keep being filled you're baptized into the body of Christ once you are continually filled with the Spirit on a regular daily basis or should be and it is passive we cannot fill ourselves we must be filled he must fill us. And when He does fill us, here are the results. Number one, we will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
Now, sometimes our English translations uh, disguise the results, but there are actually four. And the first is the idea of speaking to one another. The old King James translates it, we will speak to ourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so some people get the idea that being filled with the Holy Spirit means you begin to talk to yourself. And that would be a bit unusual. Don't you see it all the time? You're in the mall and you think someone is talking to themselves. They've actually got a phone in their ear and they're talking to someone else. But you think, that guy's crazy. They're speaking to themselves. It usually refers to someone who is a bit unhinged. And, but that's not what it means at all. It means that we are, and the King James translation is fine, except the idea is that we are talking among ourselves. So the idea here is that when you are filled with the Spirit, there is spiritual interaction. There is fellowship and communication. You say, well, does that mean when I'm filled with the Spirit, I begin to sing to everyone? I don't talk to my friends, I sing to them when... I call them on the phone. No, it, this is referring to the fact that we gather together in fellowship and worship and we sing to one another. Did you know that many of the songs we sing are not aimed at God but aimed at each other? The very first song we sang this morning, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus our Blessed Redeemer. And we're encouraging one another, Sing, O Earth! His wonderful love. We ought to be turning to one another and singing. Instead of looking up here, we should be saying, hey, my friend, sing. Sing to them. That'd get a little weird, too. But that's what we're doing. We're encouraging one another to sing. The Psalms are songs of the early church. Listen to Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. And we're singing this. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come, let's come before him. I encourage you to come with me before him. We're encouraging one another. And I don't think we see this horizontal perspective of our worship. You are not here just for yourself. Did you know that? You're here for others. And the way you sing affects others. And many of the songs you sing are aimed toward them now we're here to worship god indeed primarily but our worship of god involves encouraging one another that's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together we gather together to stir up one another you're here to bless the people of god that's one reason why i like it when the room is filled because we have a tendency then to affect others. If you're sitting by yourself in a distant corner, you're not getting the blessing that the fellowship is designed to have. If I had the ability, I would push a button with hydraulics once everyone is in and force you all in and in. <laughs> to ask you to do it is in, you know, never happens, but to force you, because you would be blessed as you hear from those around you. Come we that love the Lord, let our joys be known. Join in our song with sweet accord, and thus around the throne we're marching to Zion. That's a song aimed at one another. The object is really those who are other believers. So we're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
we are singing psalms that often speak more of taking the scripture and aiming it at God. Hymns and spiritual songs are more of the odes. They're, they're almost more like a folk song with a spiritual perspective to it. But we're communicating with one another in fellowship, in worship. And when you're filled with the Spirit, there is spiritual interaction. That's the point that is being made. Secondly, when you're filled with the Spirit, you sing and make music in your heart or with your heart. The Greek doesn't really help us because it could, the preposition could be used in either way. It's, it's either a locative in the sphere of or instrumental by means of, and it's really both. You're singing in your heart, but you're singing with your heart. So you have this idea of joyful sincerity. Now the object is the Lord, right? We sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord. And so the last song we sang was this idea, You Are My Prince of Peace. Although that song was a bit schizophrenic because we sang to one another partly and then we sang to God partly. But God was our object, the Lord, and we sang to Him. I often change the pronouns in songs and hymns so I can just sing to the Lord and not to you. <laughs> or not to others, because I want to sing to the Lord and focus on Him. That's what we're doing here. And it needs to be sincere. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase, said, we are making music in our hearts for God's ears. And this is a, a wonderful verse. These are blessed words to those who are musically challenged. I can sing in my heart, and God accepts it as a great sacrifice we often hear people quoting, I'm commanded to make a joyful noise, right? It doesn't have to be a melodic noise. But in my heart, there's a melody. In fact, this phrase actually means to use instruments, to play on strings. This idea of making a wonderful melody. Harmony. It's the idea of sincerity and honesty and commitment. The song is coming from the heart. And that's what God is looking for. He wants authentic worship. And when we sing with our mouths, it needs to come from our hearts. And if you're not singing with your mouth, you can still sing with your heart. In other words, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to convey spiritual truth and you want to convey it in honesty and sincerity with all of your heart because that's what happens when the spirit is in control. Here's the third thing. You will always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a vital connection between holiness and thankfulness. Now there is this sense of constant gratitude. So spiritual interaction, joyful sincerity of heart, and constant gratitude. The grumbling spirit is incompatible with the Holy Spirit. 
This might be one of the best ways to gauge who is in control, how much you grumble and complain. If that were a spiritual gift, I would be indeed gifted because I can complain with the best of them. It's so easy to get irritated when my way is not being accomplished and then I began to grumble and complain. This was Israel's great gift. As soon as God had delivered them from the land of Egypt, they began to murmur, right? That word, onomatopoeia, that speaks of a word that sounds like what it means, right? The onomatopoeia word is the word like a clank or sizzle or grunt or murmur, murmur, murmur. Christians complaining. Christians complaining. Talk about an oxymoron. Christians complaining. Oh, we do it well. But when we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we are thankful in every type of situation. Did you know it says, verse 20, we are thankful always for everything? That kind of covers it all. Now, this is not always in everything without exception. Some people have said the secret to victory in the Christian life is unconditional praise. But we're not to be thankful for evil. Are you thankful that the bridge collapsed in Florida killing people? There's no thankfulness there. That your husband is a drunkard and beats you? There's no thankfulness for evil. Such a suggestion is at best dangerous. It's a dangerous half-truth that we embrace. And it's ludicrous and even blasphemous because God is not the author of sin and takes no pleasure in wickedness. However, we do praise God for His loving providence, which... In his control, he can even take evil to work about good. So we need to, be, make, we need to make sure that this idea of giving praise and thanks, yes, for the trials that come our way, we're not happy for the trial itself, but we are thankful for what God will produce through it. God wants to do something to change us. And there's something in this text, notice verse 20, that governs our praise. We are to always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's the governor. There's the restrictor plate. There's the modifier. The name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus we preach, in the name of Jesus we baptize in the name of Jesus, we do good works. And in the name of Jesus, we give thanks. And if it isn't consistent with the name of Jesus, then we don't praise the wickedness of man. But I'm so thankful that God even takes the wickedness of man to ultimately work about his praise. And the best example is the cross. 
Acts chapter 2 says that wicked hands took Jesus and crucified him according to the determinate counsel and plan of God settled before the foundation of the world. So God is so great, he can even use wickedness to ultimately work about his praise. And did you notice the Trinity in verse 20? When we are filled with the Spirit, we give thanks to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. That's evidence of spirit control. He is so in control of me that I offer him praise. But there's one final clear indicator that you are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that is this. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here you play the role of the humble servant. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5 Even though he was equal with God, he didn't think equality with God something to be held on to. And he made himself a humble servant. Humbled himself being made in fashion as a man. Humbled himself by being obedient unto death. And died the most cruel of all deaths. Crucified on a cross. Let this mind be in you. It's so important that this idea of submitting to one another is found 32 times in the New Testament. The idea that we are to esteem others as better than ourselves. So what are we to say of the arrogant person, of the brash, self-asserting person who is filled with themselves? Well, what we can say of them is that they're not filled by the gentle, humble, meek, Holy Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you submit to others. Benjamin Witchcoat said, none are so empty as those who are full of themselves. It's interesting how we describe people, don't we? I can remember my grandma saying, he's full of the devil. Now, she, I don't think she really meant that. I think she meant that that young person was mischievous, but you know, they're full of the devil. Judas was full of the devil. The devil came in and filled him and then he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. That person is full of surprises. That person is full of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that very often? We should. That person is just full of Christ. Wouldn't that be great? People love to be around you because that person is full of Christ. Not full of self-righteousness. Not full of themselves. But full of of Christ and we submit to one another out of the fear of Christ reverence for Jesus well wow, that's an interesting statement because in the Old Testament we're told to fear God and now Paul says that is the equivalent to fearing Christ which is a wonderful and notable testimony to the deity of Jesus to fear God is to fear Christ to fear Christ is to fear God for Jesus is the God-man. We do it out of reverence, out of submission to Jesus Christ. And it is important to note that the submission to one another involves husbands to wives and employers to employees 
and kings to subjects. It's important to see we are to submit to one another before you get into the roles in the home that are found in verse 22. You can't understand verse 22 and following unless you understand verse 21. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit submit to each other. So where is the arrogant? Gone. Should be. Dead to self and alive to Christ. Now did you notice that these four things are all about relationships and two talk about our relationships with others and two talk about our relationships with God. We are to speak to one another and we are to submit to one another. That's what happens in our horizontal relationships when we're under the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we're under the power of the Holy Spirit, we sing in our hearts to God and we are thankful to God in the name of Christ for everything he directs in our life. It's not that the Holy Spirit cannot do unusual and miraculous things. It's just that the norm when the Holy Spirit fills someone is not the miraculous because that contradicts the term miraculous. Miraculous is something that doesn't happen all the time. But indeed, when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the way it ought to happen. So the question is, how can I be filled? Let me give you a clear answer. You don't fill yourself. But there are certain things that you can do to be in the place where you can be filled. How about this one? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. If you study the Holy Spirit throughout Ephesians, you'll come away with chapter 1. We are sealed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's at conversion once for all. Chapter 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And chapter 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's great pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. How do I grieve the Spirit? By any sin like bitterness, anger, brawling, slander, malice of any kind. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. He's holy. So don't grieve the Spirit. And when you do, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. This is where it starts. Repentance. If you're filled with yourself, the Spirit cannot fill you. So you've got to repent of sin and self. Secondly, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And this is really interesting because Paul wrote the book of Colossians the same time he wrote the book of Ephesians. And when he says in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. And when you do, you speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God and being thankful for everything. In Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then you will teach and admonish one another in all wisdom as you sing spiritual songs and hymns with gratitude in your heart to God. And so the same being filled is translated by the let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, let the word of God dwell in you richly and do it. Live it out. And as you have the word filling you, the Spirit is filling you. 
And you cannot keep taking the word in without getting rid of some junk, having some junk go out. It's the principle of replacement. Take in the word and some junk has got to go. We get drunk by drinking. We get filled with the Spirit by drinking in the Holy Word of God, the washing of the water of the Word. And then finally, ask. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then are evil, and you're a father, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So it's not just me confessing my sin, and it's not just me trying to obey the Word. It's me submitting and asking. You say, but God already knows that I want the Holy Spirit. God knows everything that you need, but we are to be dependent and ask. You have not because you ask not. It's just that simple. God wants us to be dependent, and we're dependent in prayer. So we sing these words, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, and change that little last part, I yield to thee it's a simple prayer of faith and a simple prayer of surrender and when we have the sin repented of and the word taken in and it becomes our practice and we simply ask for god to fill the void with his spirit he does so psalm 81 verse 10 open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This is a great verse that was used in many contexts to speak of revival. Open up your heart wide, and I will fill it. Let's sing together that little chorus. Can we go back to the words, Spirit of the living God? I think you know it. If not, it's a good time to learn it. Let's sing it. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Again. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me. Fill me, then use me, Spirit of the living. I yield to thee. I yield to thee. Heavenly Father, if our hearts were engaged and sincere and honest in that simple prayer, if we turn from our sin and all that grieves you and open our mouth wide to drink in the truth of your word, a simple prayer in faith results in the Spirit's control. May the evidence be seen in all that we say and do. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. You're dismissed.